to hear it and to feed on it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Uh, we're in the uh, Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Uh, my text this morning is the, uh, let's see, fifth of these messages to the churches, which is the letter or the message to Sardis. I, I, it's to the sardines. Uh, let me just say that and get out of the way. I've been wanting to say, I've been looking forward to saying it all week, uh, Christ's messages to the sardines. And, uh, and so it's in chapters, uh, chapter three, verses one through six. That's where we are heading. Now, last time I gave you a bit of introduction to the messages of the seven churches, and you may have a piece of paper from that last time. Uh, let me just find that myself and uh, give you the highlights of it. Uh, Last week, if you weren't here, we said that each one of these seven messages that Christ gave to the churches is deeply woven into the book. And each of the messages has the very same outline. Uh, Phrases are repeated exactly seven times. Christ commands the angel of the church. Uh, uh, Christ commands John to write to an angel of the church. Christ describes himself, and that self-description ties back to the vision of Christ in chapter 1. So these seven messages are intricately, deeply connected to chapter 1. Then there is a core of the message. And the reason why I gave you this microscopic print is because this was just helpful to me. I put all seven messages on one page. Whether you can read it or not, everybody can at least see that there is a box in each one of these seven messages. And what I've done is outlined or put a box around the core of this message. Uh, and in the core of the message, most of the time, with, with an exception that we're getting ready to look at, Christ gives words of commendation to these churches. He affirms certain things in these particular churches. And then, because Jesus is the, the way, the truth, and the life, he speaks the truth in love. And so... Put put those together in your mind. Truth in love. So he he gives a candid assessment of these churches from a position of comprehensive uh, comprehension of the true spiritual condition of those congregations. Okay? Uh, Remember from the vision, Christ has these burning eyes He sees through all of our pretenses to the way things really are. And he, in love, confronts those congregations uh, with some condemnations of their their sin uh, in, in the middle of these messages. And then, which is the subject of particular interest to me and where we're heading today, he gives solutions. He gives exhortations. 
And it's, it's that that I want to focus on. And, and that's the reason I gave you this paper, so that you can look into these boxes, hear the things that Christ affirms, and measure yourself up against that. Hear the things that Christ criticizes or condemns, and if the shoe fits, wear it, and then hear the exhortation to do something about it. And, and that's what I'm interested in this morning. All right, and then the letter concludes with uh, a promise to those who overcome or conquer in the, uh, in the ESV. And I have notes on this from last week describing what it is to overcome. You, you will be interested to know that that word in Greek is the word that we get Nike from. The, the Nike products come from a Greek word, Nike, which means victory. Uh, so one who conquers, Nikon, uh, is promised things from Christ and, and here's another point. We said this last week. These promises to the overcomers are reaching into chapter 21 and 22 into the east, eternal state where God's kingdom comes in fullness. These promises reach out into chapter 21 and 22 and promises them to these seven churches. Okay? So that's what I mean when I say these messages are woven so deeply into this book and you, you we're going to I'm going to do my best to give you the big picture of the book as we, you know, continue to move through it. And then uh, finally, we have seven times repeated the exact same phrase, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, I looked and I couldn't find, I couldn't figure this out, but I googled repeated phrases in the Bible. I'm, I'm so interested by this repetition of this phrase. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, again, last week I, I mentioned the fact that that's a, that's a double-sided exhortation. From Isaiah chapter 6, there's messages of judgment that come to people who have heard the same message time after time after time, but they haven't heard it. They've seen, but they haven't seen. And the, the biting truth behind this phrase is those, uh, we become like what we worship. I said that last time. That's a biblical fact. And all, all of the denunciation of idolatry in the Old Testament often uses what one New Testament scholar, G.K. Beale, refers to as organs of sensory deprivation. Sensory organs, ears, but you do not hear, eyes, but you do not see. And, and the point of that is, again, because people have turned away from the living God to idols, and Isaiah has such biting sarcasm for idolatry. Eh, you get a piece of wood and half of it you throw into the fire and the other half you carve into a statue and you pray to that statue that you made out of a piece of wood. And you're going to become just like that block of wood because that's what you love and that's what you worship. So, so this sevenfold 
warning slash encouragement is listen. Seven times, friends, listen to what? To what the Spirit is saying to the churches, okay? How attentive are we to that? How attentive are you to that? All right, so that's by way of general uh, introduction and overview, again, to these seven messages. And so there's so much that could be said. This, these are messages, prophetic messages from Jesus Christ himself to these churches. How significant is that? You, you remember the old commercial. There's a crowd of people at a cocktail party and one over in the corner says, well, my broker E.F. Hutton says, and the whole thing shuts down and everybody wants to know what E.F. Hutton says. You remember that? You remember that commercial? I, I like that commercial. Uh, and, and the idea is when E.F. Hutton speaks, people listen. It's the same idea in the old RCA uh, advertisement. Remember the dog listening? Do you remember the caption under that commercial, anybody? Do you remember that, anybody? Exactly. Paul, way to go, man. Way to pull that out. Awesome. I'm so impressed. Were were you out when the Victrolas came out? Did you ever? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Just kidding. But that's right. And, And if you think about that, little picture there, the dog hears his master's voice. How? Because the voice is recorded onto this RCA Victrola. Y'all picture that? Y'all picture that youngins over there with the tulip thing? Okay. Uh, There you go. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. So friends, back, back to the idea. This is our master speaking. Do you have a heart to listen to it? Uh, That vision of Christ in chapter one, feet like burnished bronze. He's no ethereal spirit. He's grounded in reality. And his voice is loud and clear like a trumpet. The problem is, as you think about the people you know, so many people aren't listening to him. And those who do aren't doing a great job of responding I might say this a couple of times, Kathleen and I were sitting right, right about here on a Thursday morning, we were at Mops and they were talking about marriage and they had a panel of experts and uh, we were on that panel, experts, yeah, right. But uh, they, they added up, There's three, there were three couples, uh, Jerry and Diane Daniel, Jim and Janet Turner, John and Kathleen Otley. Guess how many years of marriage represented by those three couples? 102 years of marriage represented there. And I'm thinking, all those years of marriage, and what do we have to show for it? Uh, You know, I've been married for 35, going on 36 years, and I still have so far to go. Christ is speaking to the churches. We want to listen. We need to hear his voice. All right, so I've been thinking about all of this. And so the reason I gave you this piece of paper is that if you are so inclined, you know, some of these things that are repeated, you you tend to become blind to them. And I, I understand that. So what I did, I tried to emphasize the things that you tend to skip over. For example, the description of Christ, I put that in bold. And then I again, put that box around the core of this message. And in the core of the message is affirmation, criticism, and exhortation from Jesus Christ himself. And then at the, at the uh, end of the message, 
I tried, yes, I did. I, I put the substance of the promise. Again, that's reaching into chapter 21 and 22. Now, uh, some of these boxes are bigger than others. And one of the other ways I analyzed all seven was I, I just looked at the exhortations of Christ. And the two that stood out to me the most, not because they were more significant, but, but because they were unique in some way, were the exhortation to the church of Laodicea, which we'll probably look at next Sunday, and then the church the, the exhortation to the church in Sardis. So this morning, chapter three, verses one through six, the message to the church in Sardis. And I'm calling this, I have two, two titles in my mind. The first title is doctor's orders, because when the doctor tells you to do something, your spouse is going to tell you to do it. Okay, you need to follow the doctor's orders. That's one title in my mind. The other title is Walking Dead. And you'll see the reasons for that as we read the letter. All right, first of all, let's just read the letter. To the angel of the church in Sardis write. Now, this is Jesus Christ himself saying this to John. Uh, this mysterious, nobody really understands this. I haven't totally nailed it down. I don't think anybody's ever going to understand it. But the churches had angels. And that's, this is to the angel of the church in Sardis. These are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. That's tapping into the vision from chapter one. I know your works. He says this seven times, all seven of these churches. He knows what's going on. Now, uniquely, there is no commendation for this congregation in Sardis. What, which one of Paul's letters is unique in that regard? There's no thanksgiving for a particular church that Paul writes to. Does anybody know? Uh, yeah. Who said that? Dennis? Yeah. Okay, good. You're right. Galatians. He just has nothing. He has nothing good to say to them because they're, they're in real danger. And so there's no commendation here in uh, the message of this church of Sardis. He says, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you were dead. Wake up and strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Yet you still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they, walk, they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Now, there's a lot that could be said about this particular uh, message to this church. So much could be said. But what I want to talk to you about this morning, based on the material uh, in that box, his, basically his criticism and then his exhortation, I want to talk about the problem, and then I want to talk about uh, Christ's exhortation in light of the problem, and then I want to talk about the solution. 
Okay, problem, solution, and and the exhortations are kind of the bridge to the solution. It's like a doctor, again, doctor's orders. A doctor makes a diagnosis. He says, all right, this is the problem. And here's what you need to do about it. It's that part that I'm really interested in. We know we all got problems. I got problems, you got problems, all God's people got problems. We wanna hear Christ talking to us uh, from this letter and we want to hear his criticism and, and learn from that. But also we want to hear his exhortation. We want to hear the doctor's prescription so that in our own lives, we can respond uh, to him. All right. So first of all, the problem. I see a threefold problem here uh, in this message to the church in Sardis. Now, now let me just say, because I'm, this is in the back of my mind and I'm not going to comment much on it. These are seven real congregations. You can look in your notes and you can see that map. At one point in time, there were seven congregations of real live Christians kind of in a semicircle, horseshoe shape in what is now Turkey real towns. And each one of these towns had a history and they had a geography and they had a culture. Jesus knew it. They all knew it. Every single one of these messages has historical and cultural memory that Christ understands and he mentions. And and I'll point that out when we uh, when we get down in, into the message here, but that, that's one thing that everybody who studies these letters deeply gets into is the local, cultural, topography, and history of these actual cities uh, because that, that comes to bear. All right, uh, let's see. So a threefold problem here in Sardis. The first problem is stated actually uh, in, at the end of verse 1 where Jesus says, I know your works, you have the reputation of being alive, but you were dead. No, no commendation, just criticism. It's the only one that has no commendation. Now, I didn't know this until I kept reading a little bit, but this word reputation, I, I underlined it because it's the Greek word for name, for name. You have a name of being alive, but you're dead. Everybody calls you living, but you're not living. You're dead. And that idea of name comes out in verse five. And I don't know if we'll talk a whole lot about it, but Jesus says, I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And then if you look up into verse four, I underlined it here also, you still have a few names in Sardis. That's significant. Four times he's talking about names here. But this first one is part of the problem. You have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Uh, So the, the problem is two things. They have a lack of integrity, for one thing. They're, they're not living up to their reputation. And, and I don't know exactly what all this means, but, but Jesus says, everybody thinks you're alive, but you're not. So, so, so there's this lack of integrity. Uh, not only do, is there a lack of integrity, but their condition is terminal. He says, 
you're dead. And then finally, he says, I have not found, do you see verse two at the end of it? I have not found your works incomplete. Sorry, sorry, I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. So, so again, there's this disconnect between them and God. Uh, people see them one way, but the people don't see them accurately. God says, your works are incomplete in my sight. And people think you're alive, but you're not. You're, you're really dead. So just reflecting on that individually here, where are we not what we seem? Where are you not what you seem? At this, at this point in your life, do you have unfinished business? Jesus says, I've not found your works complete in the sight of God. We had this seminar yesterday morning, and there was a family that came up to me Wednesday night because they knew that part of it was estate planning, and they were just talking about that. And they were confident to tell me that all these estate issues for them are all buttoned down. They've, they've got all this, they've got their funeral arranged and paid for, their estate, all these living will and documents and everything is all set up. And I, I like to say to people, I'm a hypocrite because I don't have this done myself because I'm thinking I'm still young. It's never going to happen to me. I'm, I'm a poster boy for what they were talking about yesterday. And so I have work to do on that. But I like to tell people, even though I don't follow my own advice, get it done and forget about it. A lot of people don't want to talk about their funerals because it's creepy. But I say, talk about it, get it done, then forget about it. Then, then when you die, you've, you've expressed yourself. Uh, so, so here's the point. That the couple Wednesday night was happy to tell me that their works are complete. They, they've got it all done. All right, and that's good financially. But how about spiritually speaking? When Jesus Christ sees you and he sees you with these x-ray eyes, he knows the real you. Do you have unfinished business? Now, in one sense, we're all right smack dab in the middle of, of our following Jesus Christ. Nobody's arrived yet, all right? Nobody's arrived. Uh, at the end of the seminar yesterday morning, the, the guy was talking about funeral stuff. It's kind of depressing. So I said, all right, now we're going to have somebody talk about heaven. We're going to talk about eternity now that we've talked about death. And I couldn't get anybody from eternity to come give that lecture. Uh, so, so we understand. We, we're, we, we all have these areas of our lives. But what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? Do you have a reputation for being alive, but you're not really alive? Do you have the life of God within you? Uh, more about that in just a moment. All right. So uh, take care of unfinished business. Listen to the Holy Spirit and that, that when Christ looks at you, you may not fall under this criticism of, man, you're nothing what you seem. You, you walk in these hallways, but you're not what you look like. Don't, don't let that be true of you. Don't let something that God has for you remain undone. 
And I don't know what that is for you. Okay. I don't know if you have anything like that, but, uh, let the spirit help you finish your business, uh, with him. And then finally, uh, all right. So, so there's the problem, lack of integrity, terminal condition, and uh, incomplete works in the sight of God. Now, here's a five-part exhortation. There's good news all in this. Again, Jesus speaks the truth in love. He, he comes to these churches. Uh, he, he comes to, uh, which is the one church here that, uh, let's see, where is it? One of the churches uh, has little power. I can't find it right now, but, uh, the, sorry. That's what I was thinking too, uh, but I, I don't see it like that. Anyway, I don't want to get off on that. But he, he comes to each and every church and he speaks the truth in love. So here's the five part exhortation in the middle of the church of Sardis. Now, now there are five words that are commands here. And maybe you can see them for yourself. Look at verse two, chapter three and verse two. The first command is wake up. That's the first one. The second one is strengthen right there on the same line. Strengthen. The third command in verse three is remember. If you can see that microscopic print, you could circle that. That's uh, imperative number three. And four and five are at the end of that first line of verse three. Keep it and repent. All right. So let's think a little bit about each one of those exhortations. The first one is what we would call a wake-up call. You go to a motel, you got to get up early, you call the front desk, and they will give you a wake-up call. Jesus is giving this church. You have a reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Now, not actually dead, not spiritually dead, but asleep, spiritually unresponsive. And he says, wake up, literally, is to become wakeful. I have a whole dissertation called wakefulness in the New Testament. That's a big theme in the New Testament, remaining spiritually awake. Uh, Here's an example. Uh, Revelation chapter 16 and verse 15. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. These white garments are a key theme in these messages to the seven churches. Uh, Matthew, Christ in Matthew and Mark says, stay awake for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Now, let me ask you this. Do you remember when Jesus took his disciples into the uh, garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives? Do you remember what he asked those guys to do? He asked them to stay awake. And, and what was the phrase he used? Because that's, that's how we stay awake. What did he say? So I heard somebody say it. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Let's see. Uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 38. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is willing. Here's the problem. The flesh is weak. All right. So how do we remain spiritually wakeful? How do you do that? Pray. All right. Uh, let's see. Let's see. Colossians chapter four, verse two. Colossians four, two. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Do you know what that means? Continue steadfastly. It means your prayer feet need to be like burnished bronze, like Jesus Christ. Don't give up. 
Don't stop praying. Do you know what the devil wants to do to you? He wants to discourage you so that you stop praying. You just, I felt this way. Have you ever felt this way? What's the use? It's not going to change anything. That comes from the pit and it smells like smoke in the words of Steve Brown. Uh, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Now, part of the reason we need to stay awake, 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 8, be alert for your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour, not just to lick with his big tongue, but to devour. Who, who do lions devour? They devour old, young, weak, and sick. They devour people who aren't watchful. Okay? So stay awake, spiritually speaking. How do you do that primarily? Pray. Real prayers. It's hard. It's hard to pray. Hard for me to pray. But that's a way to stay awake, spiritually speaking. Because when you're praying, hopefully you're listening to what the Spirit is saying to you. All right, second exhortation. Uh, we talk about use it or lose it, right? Use it or you lose it. Usually we're talking about physical strength, uh, muscle capacity, energy, etc. If you don't use it, you lose it. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. Now, how do you strengthen something? Anybody? Okay, exercise. If you want to strengthen something, exercise. Do you know what the longest half hour in your day will be? It's that half hour when you are exercising, okay? It's amazing to me how slow time goes when I'm exercising. It's amazing how not very far I've gone when I think I've gone a long way. That's only 2.85 miles. I feel like I've been out here for days. Exercising isn't difficult. That's why they call it a discipline, all right? Discipline uh, isn't pleasant. Okay, I'm getting ready to be dragged off here, I think. Uh, The other way to strengthen is nutrition. Proper nutrition and exercise. What's proper nutrition for the Christian? The sincere milk of the word. And then we get busted because by now you should be teachers, but you still need to be taught. Uh, you're not eating the meat of the word. You're still eating pablum. In other words, you're eating all these pre-digested little trite devotionals written by somebody else. You can't go to the Bible itself and feed on it and handle it well. So we need to learn how to eat the meat of the word, use it or lose it. And then uh, three, four, and five, remember what you have received Keep it, which is to say, pay attention, and finally, repent. All right, now here's, here's the end of the story. We know what the problem is, lack of integrity, uh, uh, terminal case, incomplete works. We now know what the exhortation is. Wake up, strengthen whatever you have, whatever your assets are, strengthen those. Remember what you've been given. Keep it. And repent. Repent is to change your direction, change your mind. Now, here's the solution. It's up at the top of the letter. Do you see how Christ identifies himself? These are the words of him who have the seven spirits of God. The only way to be alive if you're dead is to receive the spirit that God gives us. God gives us the spirit. The man without the spirit of God is dead. Okay? We have the Spirit. 
We need to walk in the spirit. We need not to quench the spirit. We need to be filled with the spirit. Uh, We need to uh, respond to the spirit. We need to have the fruit of the spirit. So that's the solution uh, to, to this. As we trust in Christ, uh, who is given not only himself, but his Holy Spirit, he will enable us to wake up. He will strengthen us to follow him. Pay attention, respond to this. Go to him in prayer, feed on his word. Uh, Let's end our time uh, with, with prayer. Father, we thank you for these messages. We ask that we would be attentive to what you would say to us, which is to say, Heavenly Father, that uh, on an individual basis, we would check ourselves, that we would exhort ourselves, that we would find ourselves seeking your word, uh, talking to you with an obedient, responsive heart, confident, not in our own righteousness, but in the righteousness of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.